So today's podcast is about audacity. Audacity of power, right? So outside of capitalism, which plays a major part in the acquisition of this, power is the most desired thing in the United States of America. Now it can be in a very small scale as in um, making sure that you have determination over your personal identity over or uh, your household, right? Uh, what happens in your house stays in your house, right? How I want to identify identify myself to the world is my prerogative. That's the power that I have as an individual, right? And then, of course, there is power that goes beyond. Power that is about influence, uh, about shaping policy decisions, about shaping whether it's public policy or corporate policy, right? Uh, Being able to access people who can make decisions um, that have more power than you, right? But the power of access is as great, if not valued much more in the United States than the power of knowledge, right? So, if you have a combination where you have an incredible amount of knowledge, um, you have an incredible amount of access to people that have more knowledge or have more uh, control to make decisions, and you have access to finance capital then that puts you in eagle territory, right? That puts you in very rare air. That puts you in a different level than anybody else. The problem with that has always been the old adage that power corrupts. And that absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? So one of the things that is always part of the human story is to watch how power corrupts people and how that corruption has an incredible amount of impact on everyday lives. The lives that may benefit from it, the lives that are shattered by it. And so, one of the things through our moral compasses, whatever that's generated by, whether it's a personal philosophy, whether it's religion, however you, you know, grandma's teachings, whatever is your moral compass, right, um, determines how you deal with your ascension to power because every human being in order to 
move forward has to have some sense of power, right? Some sense of control in their life. Um, it's a gauge of sanity that you have some control over your life. A lot of times your life is going to be chaotic and off the chart and those are times where you're going to feel powerless, right? But today is not the day we talk about people who are powerless. We're talking about people who are powerful and how they abuse that. So the big story dealing with that right now is this guy named Jeffrey Epstein. Now, Jeffrey Epstein is a billionaire, which gives him an incredible amount of power from a financial standpoint. Now, there are a lot of billionaires that a lot of people don't know, who sometimes make themselves known by benevolent acts, such as Robert Smith and his donation to the equivalent of $40 million to the Morehouse graduating class of 2019 paying off their student debt. Right? But then you have people like Mr. Epstein. And we've seen this movie before many, many times. Right? Um, they make movies about stuff like this. But this guy, Mr. Epstein, weakness, his area of corruption, if you will, um, was his sexual preferences. Um, it's one thing to be a man in, a, in the 21st century or even the 20th century or even the 19th century or even the 18th century or as long as men have existed, right? Who have a modicum of power, giant modicum of power, right? To date women younger than them. Um, even in quote-unquote normal status, the tendency is for a man matures at 21, a woman matures at 18. At least that's what they say, right? So it's always been kind of indoctrinated into society that men are supposed to be older than women. They interacting. Socially being a couple. But when it gets to the point where you're dealing with children, not only is that a problem, it is a crime. And Mr. Epstein has apparently, allegedly dabbled in criminal activity for a long, long time. So much so 
that in his circle of influence, it has been very notable that he is engaged in this activity. And it's very questionable that some of the people that are in his circle have also participated in these activities. Nobody else has been charged with anything so far, although there are some open questions as to why a certain unit of the Southern District of New York is in charge of the investigation because that would imply that there may be somebody else involved one way or the other. But one of the people that used to hang with this guy a lot is the President of the United States who has gone on record to basically call himself a character witness to this Epstein guy. And let me just say this to you. My advice for anybody that's in a legal jam and they need a character witness, I would not call the President of the United States. I just wouldn't do that. Because he doesn't know what to say or how to say it because he doesn't have a filter, right? Um, in the example, is the president said that this guy was a good guy. Yeah, he hangs around with women that are younger than him. He likes to party. Da, 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 da. Yeah, but he's a good guy, right? So needless to say, you got to scratch him off the list, right, with a character witness. But the concern, even though it was before he was president, the concern is the president admitted that he likes younger women, too. So the question is, Did the president engage in any of these activities? I'll go even further. You got a former president who was well known to um, dabble in extracurricular activities outside of his marriage. We're talking about Bill Clinton. Now, he is vehemently denying having any relationship with Epstein other than flying in the dude's plane several times. Almost to every continent on the planet. But it was for foundation work. Right? But if <clears throat> you're Bill Clinton, you're not really looking good at this time. But here's here's something that's really, really funny. 
And it, it goes back into what we talk about with this audacity and power. And, and we're probably going to have to go back, go to the other side to really get deep into it. But just to show you how this thing is connected. So Epstein is friends with Bill Clinton. Clinton has access to his planes, his foundation did anyway be able to fly and do the work of the foundation. One of Jeffrey Epstein's attorneys is a guy named Kenneth Starr. Now, that kind of rings a bell. Kenneth Starr's claim to fame on the planet is that he was the special prosecutor who tried to get Bill Clinton removed from office whose legendary star report led to the impeachment of Bill Clinton, um, which then created all the salacious news about Monica Lewinsky and blue dresses and Randy Tripp and all these other people. Right? But Kenneth Starr goes after Bill Clinton for lying about having <clears throat> an affair, excuse me, affair on his wife while in the White House. And he's the attorney for a hedge fund manager who is a registered sex offender. I think that's that's incredible irony but that's the audacity of power when people fly in those kind of circles that's that's what happens that's that's the taint that's attached right and uh, you know and, and and that's why people have a disdain about politics they really do they have a disdain because they they can see it and it's discouraging. But you know, there's always there's always hope. And in those moments of hope, there's always progress, right? But we're gonna continue talking about this audacity on the other side. So we, we've already talked about <clears throat> this kind of star connection with this guy, but in the current administration, there's this the labor secretary, this guy named Anthony Acosta. When when Epstein was first brought to justice for his weakness, right, for his criminal activity. Acosta was the U.S. attorney, right? But Acosta was also friends with 
Epstein's attorney at the time, or the attorney that was assigned to the case. And, you know, you run into that, you know, people you went to law school with and all those kind of things. You, know, you can't really recuse yourself all the time because it's somebody that you know in legal practice, you're going to run into people all the time that, you know, if you're a prosecutor, you're going to meet a lot of people that do defense work, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes the roles change, right? You know, you were a public defender even, and a defense attorney, and then you become the district attorney. So that was the case. We never have a case. Um... So, it was obvious that Acosta and this guy, Lefkowitz or whatever his name is, had a relationship. And they worked out this incredible deal where a guy who was basically looking at possibly life in prison ended up getting 13 months state time. And uh, was able to spend at least 12 hours a day free to do his hedge fund business or whatever else he wanted to do. Um, and just register as a sex offender and move on with his life. So, uh, the way it normally goes with that is that if somebody is a high-profile sex offender, see a person in public eye, either they stay away from that, throughout their life, the remainder of their life, or they eventually get caught doing something else and go back to jail. It looks like in Mr. Epstein's case, uh, he's been caught again. And um, barring any magical legal stuff, he's going to go to jail this time. And based on how many years he gets, it could be the rest of his life, right? It may not be a life sentence uttered on paper, written on paper or uttered from the judge's mouth, but based on the amount of years, how old he is, whatever, it could be a life sentence. So, the question now becomes now that the heat has been put back on Epstein for his behavior now that audacity of power is getting its payback and Mr. Acosta now has to make a decision what he wants to do no doubt that Mr. Acosta now has more power than he had even as a U.S. attorney. Technically, being over the Labor Department, 
he has the federal responsibility along with the U.S. Attorney's Office and Justice Department to deal with sex trafficking. Which some people say, well, he's got expertise. Yeah, he's got expertise in letting a major sex trafficker get off, right? So he can be free to roam the country and do what he wants to do. Or roam the world, even. So now that this this guy has this position, the question is, and he was even asked about it, which was pretty astute on one of the senators, I think it was a senator from Virginia, Virginia, Tim Kaine, who specifically asked him about why this plea deal happened. And he basically gave a standard answer, well, you know, it was... Best deal we could put on the table, right? But usually when you make a deal like that, that you're going after bigger fish than this dude. But he seemed like a pretty big fish. Actually, he seemed like a pretty big water mammal. In this ocean, you know, but Acosta at least was asked about it, so he knew that was out there. So when you see the Miami Herald continuing the investigation, and then all of a sudden now you see your former colleagues, state of New York, you got to wonder what you're going to do, right? Because like a lot of the people the president has appointed, he's going to be very defiant about it. But at some point, if you make Donald Trump look bad, you got to go. It's one thing. If you tell Donald Trump, no, you got to go for sure. But if you imply implicate him in any way that doesn't make him look good with that base that he has, right? You already got a lot of preachers who are looking really, really suspect right now for saying this is God's man in office, right? People who were pretty suspect from Jump Street based on the wealth they've attained preaching the gospel. But, which is a whole nother audacity issue, right? But, well, let's just address that real quick. You know, you you have one of these guys, I'm going to say Kenneth Copeland, I think is the guy, he got interviewed about his wealth and why he's got to have two, three planes and all these kind of things, right? And, you know, he's basically justifying it. You know, saying it's the Lord's work and, you know, really acting strange and creepy around a reporter as asking questions. Now, if he was irritated, he was irritated. He was upset, he was upset. He was caught off, caught off guard, he was caught off guard, right? 
But if you're doing the Lord's work, you got to be able to defend it and defend it with a smile. If you're doing it. But then you're one of these people who say that Donald Trump is God's man. And that the work that he's doing is to better the country. And part of the work that he's doing is putting children in cages, regardless of what country they came from. You put them in cages, literal cages. And you're separating families. And you think that white racist people are good people. Even if they commit violent acts. But you use your audacity of power over people that believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ to tell folks that this guy not only is okay, but he's God sent. Right? And all of Meyer, uh, Osteen, all of them. You know. And that's and that's really a shame. But you won't see Kenneth Copeland renounce that. You won't say he made a mistake. You won't say that he was deceived. Um, or his cohorts, right? And they probably weren't deceived. The people who are deceived are the people that follow them, right? Because. They obviously have an agenda that's not Christian. Not by my reading. And the same with this Acosta dude. Now, I think it's interesting that Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, wants Acosta to resign, but she doesn't want to impeach Donald Trump. That's fine. Um... Acosta should resign. It's another cabinet member that should have resigned the minute that he was offered the job, right? He never should have went through the process. But the audacity, the the attraction of the power to be this person overweighed the common sense that you knew that you were crooked. But nonetheless, you took the job anyway, knowing that this was coming. And now it's come. So now it's come. You've had your moment. You know, you got to go. You know, as long as there's Fox News or Newsmax or any other conservative think tank media outlet, what have you, law firm, you'll land someplace pretty pretty soft. And, uh, you know, like others have. And uh, you can live your life not in the spotlight, but you can live your life, barring that there was no criminal implications and some of the decisions you made but a lot of these things are not criminally wrong they're morally wrong 
right? And there is a difference. Um, one of the busy, busy, biggest examples I give is that the Bible says that it's wrong to kill a person. But technically the law does not. The law says there's a consequence, but there's no law in any state or in the U.S. Constitution that says you shall not kill a person. Right? But it does say in many state statutes that if you do kill a person, and there's various ways to kill a person, there will be consequences. If you run over a person, you may get charged with vehicular manslaughter, right? If you shoot a person, that person dies, then you get charged with murder. If you that person doesn't die, you can get charged with attempted murder, right? But there's nothing in the law that prohibits that says do not kill a person. Right? So, as a matter of fact, the federal law for a long time was equated murder with violation of a civil right. Anyway. I don't know if there's a lesson to be learned here because as long as there's human beings, um, power will be a commodity and it will be a corruptible commodity. All of us are guilty of it in some form or fashion. Most of us have minor uh, violations, but they may impact our lives. But when you have these major violations, when you see the egregiousness of this audacity of power, then our only hope is that justice prevails. So we'll watch and see. Until next time.